if you notice that the text did not quite match what Pat was reading, it's because I made a, a late call and changed the translation. You're fine, because I think it helps when there's some dissonance in the text. I think it helps us to think through it a little bit more. At least that's how it works for me. So, um, yes, I'm a bass today. Um, I've got some drainage. And uh, I was at a soccer game last night. Um, so I'm a little low. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to begin with a couple of questions. Is How is your devotional life? Is anyone using the daily texts? Um, the reason I ask that is because what Paul is writing about today in this text that I've themed, I'm going to let it shine, what he's writing about today is called the word of life. And the word of life is actually the word of God. It's our scripture. And it is really the foundation of our relationship with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit. That's our foundation. Now, <clears throat> you've all heard me talk about this before, but I really had a blessed childhood. Um, I never lacked for anything. And uh, I had two very loving parents. And... I remember being very loved by my parents, and I call that a blessed childhood because I know not everyone has those kinds of memories. And I grieve with people who do not have those memories. The love of my parents did something in me. It made me want to obey them. I remember going to confirmation class and learning the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the Lord's God the Lord God's name in vain. Do you remember the second commandment? And uh, I remember one of my classmates, she was a year ahead of me. Um, she was really cute. Um, and I would have thought about dating her, except that she always used God's name in vain. She'd go around and, and she'd just swear using God's name. And it was like, ooh, that is so unattractive. <laughs> because of the way that I grew up. Now, it was normal for her. Uh, obviously, in her family, that, that was kind of normal talk. The reason I bring that up, because um, to this day, when I hear people swear, it, it bothers me. Because I have this foundation of, um, of the, the foundation of a relationship with God. I understood at an early age that if I used the Lord's name in vain, I was really misusing my relationship, abusing the relationship. And so I've made it my effort to not swear. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to please my parents because of their love for me and because of their care for me. I also remember at times wanting to become independent from my family. And um, we had some 
pretty strict rules in our household. Um, all the way down to no soda pop and no candy, unless it was given on a special occasion. So my parents, even though they could have afforded afford to buy things like that, they never did. And uh, so I grew up without candy. And I felt like a deprived child sometimes. And so I would try to figure out ways to get money. Kind of like this, uh, sil uh, forgetting the name now, Silverstein, the, the, the Giving Tree, uh, Shell Silverstein. Kind of like his book, The Man Grows Up and He Wants Money. Uh, that's kind of, that was my, one of my early rebellions is how can I get some money so I can go and buy some candy? And uh, so I remember uh, finding unique ways, um, some would probably be considered illegal today, of trying to get money so that I could buy some candy. And that was an act of rebellion. It was me saying to my parents, I don't value my relationship with you because I want candy and you won't give me any. So you might call this rebellion, but what it really is is a broken relationship, right? I mean, I wasn't talking to my parents about this. I was acting out on my own, taking money from my brother so that I could go and buy some candy. What Paul is trying to convey here, I think, is best understood in the context of our relationships. When we rely on God, the relationship is good, but when we rebel, we are acknowledging that we are no longer vested in that relationship. Sometimes I think we, we like to think of rebellion as this violence and action against God, and, and I like to simplify it, and, and really what I think rebellion is is I'm no longer vested in the relationship. And that's not helpful. How, how many times have you not been vested in a relationship? Or is it just me? You see, when we, when we rebel, we're challenging the relationship. You are a child of God. You. That's what Paul is saying. God has redeemed you through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and God is already working in you. God is completing the work that he began in you, and the completion will be your salvation. You are being able to experience moments of forgiveness, of grace, and the ultimate expression of God's love for you will be when you experience the fullness of salvation. In verse 13, Paul writes this, For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his, for God's good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to have the will, to have the desire, and to do the work to respond. You see, this is not a contract that Paul is talking about. This is 
is a relationship. You don't desire to fulfill a contract. You are obligated to fulfill a contract. But you desire to have a relationship. That is why God calls you to work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's from our NRSV, <coughs> excuse me, uh, translation today. God is calling you to work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, first of all, your salvation is complete in God. And so your work on your own salvation is you walking alongside of God who is already doing the work. This is a, a posture of humility. With fear and trembling comes um, this work. Now, why would Paul say, work out your own salvation when it's God who's doing this work? Like, you know, you can work alongside of God, especially by developing and rekindling the relationship. But why would he say with fear and trembling? There's a commentary by Janine Brown that I've read a couple times now. I'm really impressed and influenced by this commentary. It's from the Tyndale series. But one of the things that she talks about is how Paul is borrowing from Deuteronomy, in particular chapter 32. So all these references that he is making here aren't just words that he's making up to describe the Philippians. He's thinking back to his foundational scriptures, that word of life in Deuteronomy, and he is reflecting on that in the context of the relationship that he has with the Philippians and also in the context of the relationship that the Philippians have with God. With fear and trembling, let's take a look back at Deuteronomy 11. I'm reading verses 22 to 25. If you will diligently observe this entire commandment that I am commanding you, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all the nations before you and you will dispossess nations larger and mightier than yourselves. Every place on which you set foot shall be yours. Your territory shall extend from the wilderness to the Lebanon, and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put fear and dread of you on all the land on which you set foot as he promised you. The Lord your God will put fear and dread upon all the land. Now who, who possesses the land at this point? It's the Gentiles, right? And so one of the things that the Hebrew scripture, scriptures tell us is that when God reveals himself self to the Gentiles, they will experience through fear and trembling. So Paul is developing this church in Philippi, and this church is being developed primarily by Gentiles. And so what is he alluding to? He's saying that God's revelation to these Gentiles will come through fear and trembling. In uh, Psalm chapter 2, the Messianic Psalm, 
um, you hear a little bit more about how that happens. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is going to create fear and terror, wrath and fear. I have set my king on Zion. I will tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Speaking of the king of kings here, the Messiah. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. These are all references that Paul is thinking of in the context of the Gentiles and how the Gentiles will receive Christ. They will receive God because their scriptures at this point are not the New Testament. Their scriptures in this early church are still what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. So Paul is using those scriptures to help the people to understand that their fear and trembling can now dissolve because of a relationship that they have with Jesus Christ. And all that is required is for them to have faith, to trust, to come to God in an act of humility like we talked about last week. Children of God do nothing to achieve their status as children, as sons and daughters. Children of God belong to God who made them, who called them, who redeemed them. You, you are children of God and you belong to God the very God who has made you. This is relational work. It doesn't take payments. It's not contractual. It takes time and it takes effort to remain connected. I grew up in the Midwest and my, my grandfather on my dad's side was a farmer. And as a young child, I... I have fond memories. I know Patty has memories of her grandfather as well like this, but we would get to spend time on the farm with, with our grandfathers. And it was so much fun because I would go out with my grandpa to help do chores and we'd feed cattle. And it was just so much fun to, to be alongside of him, to walk with him, to watch what he did, to learn from him. And he would show me how to take care of the livestock. He would show me how to grind up the grain so that they would have corn to feed the cattle. And, you know, so I, I learned a lot from my grandfather, going out on the tractors, looking at the fields. Those are beloved memories for me because it was a time of relationship building with my grandfather. After my grandfather retired, I had an uncle who took over the farming. And my uncle had a different understanding of farming um, when my cousin and I would get to spend a couple weeks at the farm over the summers, my uncle would order us to go out and to walk beans. He'd give us each a hoe and send us out to the bean field to cut down all the weeds. 
while he stayed inside and listened to the ball game on the radio. You see, my uncle was not invested in the relationship. He saw it as a contract, and therefore my cousin and I didn't really enjoy working for my uncle on the farm. What I'm trying to focus us on here is Paul's language because what he's really talking about is relational language. And he draws on, in particular, Deuteronomy 32, which is the Song of Moses. This is right before Moses' death. He draws on this Song of Moses to contrast the Israelites with the Philippians. This is how we have acted in the past. This is how God wants us to act in the future. Remember when I was young, I learned, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Paul is calling on the Philippian church to remain in relationship with God. Even though Israel all too often rebelled, he is telling them because of Jesus Christ, they need not worry about that rebellion anymore. And that they should instead focus on the relationship. Paul is calling on the church to remain in relationship. Now, you probably remember this if you studied the story of the Exodus, but remember what the Israelites would do when they would rebel? They would murmur and grumble. Two big words that are repeated throughout the Exodus story. Whenever they wanted to to challenge Moses, it says that they would murmur or that they would grumble. Have you ever murmured? Have you ever grumbled? Paul says to the Philippians in verse 14, do everything without murmuring and arguing. Do everything without murmuring and arguing. And then verse 15, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. This is in contrast to the children that we hear about in the Song of Moses. In chapter 32, verse 5, this is the children. Yet his degenerate children have dealt falsely with him, a perverse and crooked generation. A perverse and crooked generation. So when when Paul's writing, what he is telling them is simply, simply this. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You see where this is all coming from? And that's why many translations miss it because they don't see the connection to Deuteronomy 32. But this is what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to contrast for for the Philippians who they are because of the relationship with Christ. So then Paul says, in essence, be the children of God that you are. Be the child of God that you are called to be in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Now, we don't live in a perverse and crooked generation in our culture today, do we? So be the children of God and hold firmly to the word of life. Now, this is an interesting thing because 
this also gets translated two different ways. Hold firmly to the word of life. God calls us into relationship. And the foundation of that relationship is the word of life, the word of God. You know, when I, on occasion, have missed my devotions for a day or two, I begin to notice it. Because it's the foundation of my relationship with God. And when I do that, I begin to feel withdrawn from God, from that relationship. And why the foundation is so important for me, because it's the word of God that draws me back into the relationship. So I have friends who have told me, oh, I've, I've neglected the word and I'm, I'm just feeling so guilty. I'm, I don't feel like I'm worthy to go back into it. And I would just say that's absolutely the wrong thing. It's like that's telling your wife, you know, well, I haven't been thinking of you and so I'm feeling so guilty that I'm not going to think of you anymore. <laughs> How many of you would tell your spouse that? So why should we tell God that? It can also mean not just to hold firmly to the foundation, to this word of life, but as we hear in today's NRSV uh, translation, um, it is by your holding fast to the word of life holding fast, not holding firmly, holding fast, which has more of an outward understanding. And so it can be translated holding it firmly for me, but it can also be holding it fast for you. It means to hold it out to the world. It means to hold the word of life to the world. Paul holds out the Philippian church and how they hold firmly to the word of life, to this word of God. And the church continues to share the good news with its neighbors. That's why it means what it means for you to shine like stars in the world, holding forth the word of life so that I, Paul, can boast on that day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Again, these are references coming from Deuteronomy 32. So what Paul is trying to tell us here is shine your lights. Hold firmly to the word and hold forth the word to others. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Do you remember singing that? Everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine this little light of mine. This is what the Philippian church was doing. And this is what Paul was boasting about. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I, I personally love to brag about my kids and my grandkids. My daughter, my granddaughter, Lila, scored a goal last night in the soccer game. It was so exciting. Everybody was cheering her on. When when your kids do something that make you proud, you want to talk about it. When they have accomplishments, you want to share them. 
you know, I'm proud of my kids and my grandkids for who they are, first of all, but also for what they're doing. It's no different for you, the church. I love to brag about you, too. You know, I go to events and I hear comments from people about our church and lately they've been quite positive and good. And uh, so I, I like to be able to say, you know, New Covenant is an awesome congregation. I love this church and I love what you're doing. It's no different. Your support for Teach One to Lead One is amazing. Starting this week, I believe, right, Alex? We have two Bible studies that meet that go in-depth. That's amazing. We have um, mission support that is unparalleled in congregations around us. We have an active, growing worship music team. We have a youth ministry that's growing. Friends, that is what we are called to do is to be lights to the world here today and wherever we go. Let your light shine. Whether you're assisting worship, being a reader like Pat was this morning, being a community server, being an usher, being a musician, supporting our missions, whatever you are doing, that is letting your light shine for others. Let your light shine so all can see who you are and why you do what you do. And Paul concludes this short section, this exhortation, this teaching, with this last request. And his invitation here is to rejoice with him. So let me ask a couple of questions. Are we going to be in a church without mission, without love? Do you see that in our future? No. Are we going to be a church that holds firmly to the word of life? I hope you're saying yes. Are we going to be a church that shines our light, our lights, in the world? Yes. I know we're Lutherans. We have a handicap there, but we can do it. We can shine the light. Then let's rejoice for what God is doing. Let's do what Paul calls us to do and to rejoice. And there's no better way to rejoice than to sing, I'm going to let this light shine. Mm -hmm. So let's stand and sing. Mm -hmm.